So our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, where we read verses 1 to 25, and the text will be behind me. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many to, of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace among the people. 
zu erfahren, erinnern du euch. Well, good morning, Church. It's uh, very good to be with you again this morning as we continue in our series, stepping our way through the Gospels, uh, each one of them, and asking the question, well, how does this Gospel writer introduce Jesus to us? In Matthew, we saw that he introduced Jesus very much as Emmanuel, God with us. Last week, we saw Mark introducing Jesus as the one who fulfills prophecy. He comes to cleanse us from the inside out. And, and this week we come to Luke, and, and really Luke does something quite different. Uh, some of that, much of that material is here in, in different ways, but he has, uh, he begins with quite a different purpose, if you like. He wants us well, first of all, Theophilus, but, but all of us who read his gospel to be certain of the things that we have been taught. To be certain. He wants us to have certainty about Jesus and who he was and what he did when he lived on this world. Certainty is, I think, a fairly uh, rare commodity these days. We've lived through... Uh, postmodernism, it's still with us to some degree, but nobody really talks about it much anymore. The idea that everyone is biased, no one can be trusted to give genuine truth, uh, and so in the end we, we have to basically uh, have my truth and your truth, which is of course a complete non sequitur, it doesn't make any sense at all, but that's what people say. Uh, I've got my truth and you've got your truth and we'll all just live happily, happily ever after. But uh, that's the world we live in. Where's the certainty there? And then, of course, we now live in a world where information and disinformation and misinformation and all the other kinds of information are wielded against different people in society as a, beat, a stick to beat each other with uh, and to prove that my side is better than your side, whatever side that might be. And so people are uncertain, and maybe you feel that, the a sense that you cannot be absolutely certain about anything. Well, Luke writes to bolster our certainty, not just in anything, but in the life and events of Jesus. So that, and he doesn't say this, but my argument will be, so that we might have joy and hope in Christ. Well, uh, let's just briefly look at Luke's introduction. You remember that Matthew and Mark sort of had something along the lines of the, the, the gospel or the good news or the account of Jesus the Messiah and so on. Well, that's not how Luke starts. He starts like this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you, might, you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. And if that's tricky to read in English, it's actually all one sentence in Greek, no, no full stops. 
uh, and it is in quite elegant Greek. I can't tell you that from my own experience. I'm, I'm tr trusting someone else for that. And you, I don't, you, get, you kind of get an impression, don't you, about Luke the man from those words? I wonder if he was an accountant. I don't know. I mean, it's just, or maybe an engineer or something like that. He's, he's obviously a man of precision. He's obviously a man who likes to get every, all his ducks in a row and make things very, very clear. And that's wonderful for Theophilus, who, as we understand uh, the best we can, because we don't really know anything else about him than what we read here, uh, is that he was probably some sort of official in the Greek world. Uh, and Luke, and he's clearly heard about the stories of Jesus, and Luke says, well, you've heard about all of that, We've heard it from the eyewitnesses. What I've done is I've gone and investigated it, Theophilus, and I've written down an orderly account. Now, I don't think he's sort of suggesting that other accounts are disorderly, like he's not having a, a backhanded go at Mark or Matthew or something like that, but that's the sort of guy Luke is. He wants, you to, he wants it all to be very nice and clear so that you might be certain Theophilus, and ultimately so that we might be certain. And I think it's worth stopping and asking ourselves the question, well, how certain am I about the things that I read in the Gospels? Now, you might answer, well, I'm super certain, like there's not a, there's not a skerrick of a doubt in my mind about anything, and that Wonderful, praise God. But there's been enough, hasn't there, over the years and even in more recent sort of decades, uh, the Da Vinci Code and whatever, that sought to tell us that the Bible wasn't trustworthy. You couldn't believe what it said. And you only have to spend sort of 30 seconds online uh, looking at some of this stuff to realise that there's arguments about why you shouldn't believe and what you should know and, and blah, blah, blah. And so perhaps you're sitting here this morning uncertain. You've heard those arguments and you've wondered about the questions that they raise and you're not sure. Well, Luke writes for you. He wants you to know that Jesus really did come to earth, that he really is who he says he is, that he really died, that he really rose, that he really is coming back. Now, if all of those historical events are real, they're true, they did happen, that changes the world, it changes everything. You can't sort of read the events that Luke says have happened and hear the words out of Jesus' mouth and say, well, yeah, that doesn't really matter all that much. I don't, you know, well, that's wonderful. No, no, if that really happened, then we need to do something, you need to do something with Jesus. And if we're certain that it happened, we can have joy. Well, how does Luke do that? How does he help us be certain? And what I want to do uh, at first is just kind of step through the story a little bit with you and show you a few of the things that Luke is doing and, and just engage with what he's telling us here from Zechariah to see how he helps to assure us but also to... Um, See how Zechariah, actually, the very first character that we bump into in any significant way in Luke's Gospel, he actually struggles to believe. 
Well, Luke begins by telling us that this happened in the time of Herod, king of Judea. He sort of anchors this, all these events in historical context. Great. He tells us that Zechariah is from a particular priestly division. Great. He tells about uh, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, who was descended of Aaron. You see what he's doing? He's, he's not scant on detail, is Luke. You, you'll see this all through his Gospel. He, he's giving you facts that you could go and check. And then he says in verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, ob- observing all of God's laws, all of the Lord's, sorry, commands and decrees blamelessly. Whoops, there we go. I think this is one of the first instances where Luke is showing us one of the things he discovered through investigation. Uh, Sure, God could have just told him this, but I think it likely that uh, Luke had gone, he'd investigated, he'd talked to people who knew uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were almost certainly dead by this point in time, well, the time Luke is writing, uh, and he found out about them. And having heard about them, he decided, guided by the Spirit, that yes, these were people were blameless, that is, they, not that they were perfect, but they followed God's law, they entrusted themselves to God, and when they failed, they sought God's mercy and kindness. They had a reputation. He found out about it, he tells us about it. Then he tells us that they were childless. He, in a sense, is building the tension a little bit in these verses because anyone who uh, knows anything about the Old Testament, as soon as you hear someone being talked about in the Bible as childless, you know that something's about to happen because some very significant people in the Old Testament, uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, probably the most significant, were childless, though God promised them a son. And then there's Hannah and Elkanah, uh, Elkanah, um, who they were... She was childless at least and um, she has eventually Samuel, the great priest of Israel. And and so he's building the tension, we're anticipating something. Then he adds to that that, oh, Zechariah's division was on duty. Now there was 24 divisions and there was probably about 18,000 priests across those 24 divisions. And so you only really served in the temple twice a year. There were that that many, 24 times 2 is 48. I don't know what happened to the other weeks of the year but anyway that's what they did um, and we're told lo and behold that Zechariah is chosen by Lot again from the Old Testament people un- would have understood oh that means God's chosen him something's happening something's happening uh, chosen by Lot to uh, offer incense in the temple now just in case you're not very familiar uh, the temple, there's the court of the Gentiles, they could only go that far, but you can see there's altars and slaughter tables, this is where the offerings were given in here, and then you have the holy place, and there's a little table, there's a little gold bit, if you can see it in there, that's where the incense was offered, and, and then there's a, you probably can't see, but there's a curtain that divides this holy place in two, behind the curtain is the most holy place, where the high priest only went once a year, and that after sacrifice, um, and Zechariah would have gone into this, people didn't go into this very often, he would have gone into this to offer the incense and pray there uh, at that table. Now, this is a once-in-the-lifetime opportunity. 18,000, you can kind of do the math, 18,000 priests, you, once you drew your lot and did this, this, that was it, this was your one turn. Uh, something's happening. <laughs> 
something's happening. And sure enough, something does happen. As Zechariah is praying and offering incense to the Lord, an angel appears to him and tells him all about this baby that he and his wife Elizabeth will have. They had to call him John and he would be a delight. And, and what we read there, and I'm not going to cover it uh, in great detail because we really covered much of what was said uh, there uh, last week when we looked at Mark. Because the angel talks about him fulfilling prophecies like being the second Elijah and preparing the way for, for the Lord and turning God, the people's hearts back to God. And, and we, like we saw that all last week. Uh, but the angel tells him about his son. He tells him two other things that we hadn't read before, that he wasn't to drink wine or fermented drink. That was away from the Old Testament, it seems, to dedicate yourself to God. And we're also told, or Zechariah was told, that John would have the Holy Spirit even before he is born, filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born, which uh, I think he tells us in part because... Uh, later on when Mary comes to Elizabeth, she's already pregnant with Jesus, uh, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb uh, because Jesus is, comes. So that's because the Holy Spirit was there. So anyway, that, that's all details. Again, how does, how does Luke know all of this? Well, he's, he's been and he's talked to people and he's, you know, you don't tend to find out about babies leaping in wombs just through casual conversation. Um, he's investigated But here's the thing, how does Zechariah react? Now you might think, well, he's there, he's in the temple, Uh, he he should have at least some knowledge of old elderly couples uh, being promised a baby, that's that's happened before, that that should be in his mind. Uh, uh, There's an angel. Uh, that's fairly significant. And by, and by the way, uh, notice that he's terrified of the angel. Uh, you sometimes read stories these days of people uh, and they meet, supposedly meet angels and the angels are like fluffy and like happy and they've got slicked back hair uh, and they're white, of course. Of course, they're always white because it usually comes out of America. But, um, at, and they're not scary at all. They're like just friendly and happy. Look, I'm sorry, but that's not the sort of angels you encounter in the Bible. The Bible, the people are always terrified when they see an angel. So how does he react when this angel tells him all these wonderful things about the son he's going to have? Does he say, yes, of course, fantastic, let's, let's do this? No, Zechariah responds with scepticism. The angel later says to him, you did not believe me. You did not believe me. How does that happen? (laughs) Well, again, this is not the first time. In fact, the words he uses when he says, how is this going to happen, are very similar to the words Abraham uses to God when God said to him, I'm going to give you the whole land. Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know this, that I will take possession of it? How, How do I know? And later on, when God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son when you're 100 years old, he laughed at God. Seems a fairly unwise thing to do. But I want to note something. In both the case of Zechariah here in Luke and in the case of Abraham, God doesn't therefore reject them. He doesn't say, well, you know, you didn't believe me, therefore you're done, I'm going to go find someone else and give them a son and and whatever else. 
Now, and in fact, if you went back to uh, Genesis chapter 15, what you would find is God telling Abraham to cut a, a calf and a few other animals in half and put the two halves, you know, on the ground. Then Abraham goes into a sleep, a deep sleep, and he has a vision of a sensor, of a, like a, a lamp wafting through the halves of the animal. That's God saying to Abraham, look, if I don't keep my word to you, may I become like these animals. That's, an, that's incredible, like for God to do that. That's how he treats us when we fail to believe his word. Well, it's not too different here. The, the angel says, well, look, I'm Gabriel. You, that, Gabriel is an angel that's named back in Daniel, so they, they knew about him. I stand in the Lord's presence, right? I mean, that's a fairly lofty claim, isn't it? I, I come, I've come from God, He sent me, listen to me. And then He also gives Zechariah a sign, you're going to be silent until the baby is born. But in both cases, in Abraham and Zechariah, God still works through these people. He still fulfills His promise, His word to these people, He still uses them, they're still counted as righteous by faith, even though one of the points, their points of failure was faith itself. Right? They're still counted righteous by faith, even though one of their points of failure was faith itself. Now, why do I spend all that time pointing that out to you? Because Luke does not write to make us certain so that we will have perfect faith and then we will be acceptable. Because we do not have perfect faith. We work on our faith. We want to entrust ourselves to God perfectly. Of course, we want to trust Him in everything. But the reality is, we're like Abraham and we're like Zechariah. And even when, even if God was to show up to us, uh, we we wouldn't trust Him. Not necessarily, anyway. Because we don't trust Him that He's doing all things for our good. We don't trust Him that He is enough. We don't trust Him that His ways are best. We, we struggle to believe the things that He tells us in His Word. We, we don't trust God perfectly. But that doesn't mean we can't have saving faith because the issue is not to have perfect faith. Luke doesn't write to give us certainty so that our faith is perfect. He writes to give us certainty for our joy. You see, doubts and uncertainties don't make us less um, acceptable to God. Failures of faith don't disqualify us from, from being a follower of God. Otherwise, Abraham and Zechariah will be disqualified. But they do rob us of joy. They do rob us of hope when we're uncertain. Because, well, we, we don't know, we can't be sure what's going to happen anymore. But when we have certainty of the things that have been taught to us, we can look forward with great excitement. Well, uh, that's encouraging that, we, that the certainty here isn't so that we have perfect faith, but how does Luke seek to give us certainty. And he does two things here in the section that we just read that I want to point out to you that I think help us, help to give us a level of certainty. And the first is this. Faith 
doesn't depend on first-hand experience. I think that's what this passage teaches us. Faith does not depend on first-hand experience. You see, most of us would say, well, look, if, if God turned up to me or an, an angel of the Lord turned up to me, I would have, like, top-notch, uh, high-level, complete and utter trust in God. That, we, we think that that's what would happen. If only some incredible miracle was to happen in my life or in the lives of someone close to me, then I would always, and in every situation, I would trust my, entrust myself to God. But friends, Zechariah proves that that's not the case. He, he was a faithful man. He loved the Lord. He was in the temple praying and lighting incense. An angel turned up to him that terrified him, and yet he still failed to believe. Because he's a bad guy, well, not more than anyone, any of the rest of us, but because human beings are fallible. Because even when we believe that God is powerful, even when he turns up, if he tells us he's going to do what we think is impossible, we can fail to believe. We're like children who have grown up just enough to think that we know better. <laughs> right? You know, when little kids, and they're little, you could tell them that if you drove too far in that direction, that you'd fall off the earth. And they'd go, oh, well, that's dangerous. We ought not to drive down that road, Mum and Dad. Right? But, it, but after a while, kids get, they think they know everything and they, 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 they can tell you how the world works and they, they're not shy to do it. Well, that, you know, that, that stage of life is kind of where most of us are with God. It's not necessarily even that we're rebellious. It's that we think we can see everything when we actually can only see a tiny little bit. And so when God says, this is, what I, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to remake the world, I'm going to return, I'm, I'm going to gather in my church and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. He tells us the things that he's going to do. That If they seem impossible to us, we doubt him. We trust too much in our own understanding and wisdom and we question him. What that means, friends, is that our greatest barrier to certainty is not the manner of the communication of what God has said and done, but we ourselves. The greatest barrier to the to belief and certainty in God is not the manner of the communication, it is actually us. That we're the barrier. And so, whether we receive God speaking to us directly, as Zechariah did, or whether we receive God speaking to us through His Word, Either way, it's possible for us to have certainty. Because the Spirit needs to take what was said in person or what was written down for us and apply it and make it and allow, enable us to, to believe it and entrust ourselves to God. We need to have faith like the little child's. And in fact, if you think about it, Zechariah talked to the angel once and then it was over. But you can read this thing 
as often as you want, over and over and over again, and come to know God more and more and more. There's a reason he decided to communicate to the vast majority of us, if not all of us, through his written word. But the writtenness of the word is not itself an impediment. We need to cry out to God when we doubt and when we feel he is being uncertain. Well, that's the first thing. The second thing that Luke does, other than just straight off the bat give us an example of lack of faith to help us understand the nature of faith, he also gives us an event that would have been witnessed by many, many, many people. Did you notice that when it says uh, Zechariah went into the temple, uh, I think uh, in verse 10 it says all the assembled worshippers were praying outside and then we come back to them all these assembled worshippers, they're standing out there going, what is taking this guy so long? Verse 20, uh, 21. Now, there's a whole group of people involved there. And that group of people not only would have opportunity to remember the fact that one, one time the priest went in and did the incense thing and he took ages and ages. And Do you remember that time that that happened? Yeah. And do you know what else happened? When he came out, he couldn't speak. He was signing that he'd seen an angel. How do you do that? <laughs> oh, he's seen an angel. Oh, oh. Like, anyway, that's what happened. And you remember that. That's a memorable event, right? But not only that. Nine months later, this elderly man and his wife have a baby boy. Who's ever heard of that? And... He names him, we read later in, the, in chapter 1, he names him John, not a family name. That's not from his family line. That's, you know, you kind of kept the names from the family. And he names him John, totally out of the ordinary. And then all of a sudden he could speak again. Crazy. Have you ever heard anything like that? Now, I think sometimes we, we can read the New Testament and we think, Events like this are maybe happening in something like Brisbane City. You know, something can happen out at Ipswich and we have no idea about it because there's just so many people. But we're talking about the temple. We're talking about a man going back to his little village. We're talking about, uh, you know, lots of people talking to each other, word of mouth, wit eyewitnesses. This was witnessed by a lot of people. Now, what that meant for Theophilus as he's reading this he knows that if he wants, he can go back. Maybe he's already in Palestine, we don't know. But maybe he, he could go back to Palestine. He could go ask around the Temple Mount. He could go ask in this, uh, this particular priestly division of Abijah. He could go and ask at the village, though we're not told the village, but he could easily find that out. Uh, did she have a baby? You know, he could go and check all the details. He could make sure that Luke is recording for him exactly what happened. And so he could be certain, do you see? Then you might say, well, but we can't do that. How are we supposed to go and do that? Well, okay, we can't do that. But here's the thing. By Luke, by starting with an event so easily to prove or disprove, in a sense assures us that it's true. What do I mean by that? Well, look, if, if someone was in an interview 
you know, to be part of a political party, maybe to, mem- to you know, be the member of parliament, I don't know if they interview for that, but let's just say they do, or maybe to be on TV or something, and they said to the, the, the interviewee, said to the interviewers, well, look, you should, you should put me on because uh, two Olympics ago, I was like a champion and I won a couple of gold medals. Like, he or she better be telling the truth, right? <laughs> because if that is so easily, uh, like, provable or not provable. Like, we could, a little easier than Theophilus, obviously, we can go on the internet and search their name. If you're going to lie about something, you better jolly well tell a lie that isn't easy, easy to disprove. And if Luke is just making this up, he would have been way better off not, <laughs> not recording an event that would have been seen by hundreds, if not thousands of people and talked about by even more. And so that assures us, that assures us that as Luke begins his gospel, he's giving us verifiable, certain events. And if he's beginning with verifiable, certain events, then the likelihood is he's going to be telling us verifiable and likely, uh, verifiable and certain events as he goes on. And certainly, there are heaps of places where Luke gives you all the details that you need if you want to go back and check what he has said. The shepherds who see the angels, the women who go and visit the tomb, the many, many witnesses who, who see Jesus after his resurrection, and so on, and so on, and so on. Because Luke wants us to know the certainty of the things that we have been taught. And because we know, because we're assured of their certainty, we know that Jesus came and was born to a virgin Mary. We know that he lived and he taught incredible things and did incredible miracles. We know that eventually he, with determination, went to Jerusalem and wasn't caught unawares but willingly went to the cross and died as he said himself for the sins of his people and we know that he rose again from the dead and we know that he rose to heaven and said, I am coming back again. We know with certainty. And because we know with certainty, we can look forward to his return with great joy and sure hope. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you raised up a man like Luke, a man who loved to investigate a man who loved to write things down in an orderly way, a man who loved to give all the evidence so that people could be certain of the important things, the world-changing things that Jesus came and did on this earth. Father, we thank you that you preserved this gospel for us through the years so that we can sit and we can read it today and again discover with great certainty the events of Jesus' life. And we pray that you would give us that certainty by your Spirit as we read the pages of this gospel and the rest of your word, so that we too may look forward with great hope 
certain and sure hope and so great joy for the day when our Saviour Jesus will come and do the impossible. (laughs) He will make us perfect, he will renew the world and we will live with you forever in eternity. Father, thank you so much for the certainty you give us through your word and in particular Luke's gospel. And we pray, looking forward to our Saviour Jesus in his name. Amen.